Welcome to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology. Many of our podcasts are accompanied by downloadable study guides and additional resources. You can access those either through our website at gsot.edu forward slash center or through the Grace app for your smartphone. And now, Saving Grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Christ warned us that in this world we would have trials. Now, you may have experienced the worst of the worst, the loss of a child, the end of a marriage, loss of all material things, maybe a bad diagnosis and prognosis regarding your health. We see increasing persecution, growing division among people, mass killings, good called evil, evil called good. Has has God lost control? Well, not at all. He has overcome. And if he allows the suffering, he will also provide consoling truth to sustain our hope through undeserved suffering. Today, we're going to talk about truth that will sustain us. We're pleased to have with us Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is a graduate of Rice University, received a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, and earned a Ph.D. in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Seminary. He's authored numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Maximum Joy, Bewitched, and Portraits of Righteousness, among others. Thanks so much for joining me again today. You bet. Always a pleasure. Well, I've looked forward to this second part of our our little series. When we were here together last, we covered the first of two parts of the topic, Sources of Consoling Truth in Times of Undeserved Suffering. We talked in that podcast about the glory and the groaning of God being two of those consoling truths. If you don't mind, just briefly remind our listeners how those two truths uh, are meant to console us, God's glory and his groaning. Well, in the first one, his glory, uh, it's reminding us that there is another world. And as uh, Paul Bilheimer said in his book, Don't Waste Your Sorrows, a lot of the suffering in this life is going to accrue to his glory in the next world, and will be a big part of that. So he says the sufferings of this life really aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in the sons, the mature Christians. Of yes. God in the next life. So as I've, uh, as I probably said then, the comparison is kind of like a, a thimble full of water next to the Pacific Ocean or a grain of sand next to Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. You say, well, that's mm-hmm. no comparison. Yeah. And that's kind of what he's telling us. It is no comparison. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, but we won't see that until that next life. Mm-hmm. So it involves a pretty good uh, uh, effort to imagine. In fact, the, the, the song that's so popular for Mercy Me Imagine is, mm-hmm. I think, is, is a good one to kind of say, here's what you need to do. Imagine. Yes. And uh, then with the groaning of God, uh, I think in a lot of types of suffering, when it hits, you either run out of things to say or ask for or just don't even know how to pray. Oh, for sure. Uh, and you just kind of lean over and groan. Mm. And it says creation's groaning, we groan. But then it says the Holy Spirit groans for us, which... Uh, with words that can't be uttered. Mm. So he's on our behalf, kind of like Christ is our intercessor in First yes. John chapter 2. The Holy Spirit becomes our intercessor here, our friend. Mm-hmm. And that's as though uh, um, 
I wanted to pitch some great cause to Bill Gates to give a billion dollars to, but I don't know Bill Gates. Right. Uh, but Warren Buffett does, and I know Warren Buffett. I'm kidding here. <laughs> and he said, well, you want me to put in a word for you? I said, well, of course. Yeah. So he goes to his friend Bill Gates and said, well, you should listen to Dave here. <laughs> right, what? We wish, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we have someone a lot more important than uh, oh, we do. Bill Gates or uh, Warren Buffett. And he, he puts in a good word for us. Mm, and that is so comforting because you're right. When you're down, when you're suffering, you don't have the words. And just to know the Holy Spirit is doing that yeah. on our behalf is a beautiful thing. And plus there are times there uh, you'll pe- hear people say out of First John mm-hmm. chapter 5, if it's your will, if it's your will. Because mm-hmm. we often don't know what his will is. Right. Uh, and, of course, you have to be careful with the word will. Uh Sometimes it's used of a predetermined plan, and sometimes it's used of desire. For example, in 1 Timothy 2, it says, God desires all men to be saved. Well, that's the word will there. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's rightly translated desire because he hasn't predetermined that all men will be saved. That's right. Right. So here it says that the Holy Spirit prays according to his will, which is also a very comforting thing. Yes, it is. I love that. Well, in today's podcast, we want to look at Romans 8, 28 through 39, and we're going to consider two more consoling truths, goodness and the greatness of God. And I'm hoping that you can help us shed light on the meaning of Romans 8, 28. You know, this is a passage that many have memorized, but perhaps not many fully understand its meaning. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, Now, we know as believers that that God is sovereign in control, but I think we get hung up sometimes, Dr. Anderson, on that all things. I mean, there's some bad stuff happening in this world right now. Uh, Everything seems to be doom and gloom on so many levels. It appears God is not in control. So help us to understand that all things in that passage. Well, I think you have to connect the all things to the people for whom this promise is given. This isn't just a blanket promise to all the people in the world. Right. It's not even a blanket promise to all Christians. It is a blanket promise to all those who love God. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have no idea what the percentage of believers Love God, you would think they all would. But, you would think. Uh, as we'll probably talk later on, what, what does that mean? And so then I think all things is just literally all things, if, if it's to the, those who love God. Yeah. But it's interesting here that there are two ways to translate this. All things work together for good is an option. But another option is God works all things together for mm. good. Mm. And I really, from grammatic, for grammatical reasons, I prefer that one. Okay. That God is the one. He's able. It's not just like... You know, case of rock, Sarah, all things are going to work together. Yeah. It's God works all things together. It puts a whole different perspective yeah. on it, doesn't for, it? For good. <laughs> yes. And so it's really saying uh, mm-hmm. for those who align themselves with him and make him their uh, numero uno in life, their main squeeze, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, no matter what happens, what tragedy, uh, even amazingly, uh, our sin. Mm. I had a uh, a, a Bible teacher come to me one time and say, I don't see how my sin can glorify God. Mm. And I said, well, whose sin put Jesus on the cross? I mean, were yours included there? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Of course they will. Yes, yes. And that's one of the greatest displays of God's glory the world's mm-hmm. ever seen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that intersection of God's love and God's justice. Or really his trophies of grace. Yeah. yeah. So I also think that's encouraging, uh, yeah. because uh, although this passage is not about deserved suffering, uh, a lot of our suffering, in fact, in my life, most of it, I think, has come from foolish decisions or sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's saying here that he can even take that and work it together for, for good. Yes. I, I often share, uh, as, as you know, Dr. Anderson, I'm, uh, I've, I've had two abortions. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it's hard for me to even say that. It's, to me, it's just the ultimate sin. It's, it's the first Timothy 1, 15 and 16, the worst of sinners, as, as Paul said. Uh, but I can say God worked things so that even that could be used to bring him glory in in that um, I can be a voice. Yeah, and you had many opportunities to yes. share. What I heard you share not long ago was the best I've ever heard on the subject. But I want to pick one bone with you. Okay, okay. I don't think what you did was a sin of sin, because at the time you did it, I don't think you knew it was wrong. Mm. Uh, God uh, judges our act and our intention. The act intention yes. complex, which is another way of saying the act and the motive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though I give my body to be burned, have not love, it profits mm-hmm. me nothing. nothing. So there's some things. And he says, you know, Numbers 15, there's the presumptuous sin and the unpresumptuous sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the known sin and the unknown sin. Mm-hmm. It's all sin. Yes. And the blood of Christ took care of all of it. But it's a worse sin to knowingly sin because now you're bringing rebellion in, into it, mm. defiance of God, his laws, his holiness, etc. Mm. So um, I know this podcast is not about what you brought up, but <laughs> I don't okay. think that was mm. the sin of sins. Mm. Thank you. Not trying to minimize abortion. I understand. Abortion. I do understand. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. You know, this passage says that all things work together for good. In your book, Portraits of Righteousness, you discuss that there are two types of, of good uh, in the Bible. Explain the difference between internal good and external good. Well, external good is kalos. It's observable with the eye. I think in my book, I talk about when a guy picked me up to go to a golf tournament in a Corvette. I'd never ridden one. But, I mean, even I looked good going down the freeway in that Corvette. <laughs> That's not what this is talking about. Mm-hmm. This is agathos, which is more of an intrinsic thing that uh, people may not be able to see on the outside. So, well, like as we said last week when my son was killed, uh, what external good can you see from that? Mm-hmm. Really nothing. No. But intrinsically, there's something. And that's the good that's promised here. That God can work it together. For good. Sometimes that good is uh, dealing with our character, mm-hmm. and that's an internal mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not my theology that God goes out killing children to make oh, me a no. better Christian. But, uh, uh, you know, even I think sin took my son, a drunk driver. Mm-hmm. But even that, God can work together to, uh, along with this passage on my character, mm-hmm. making me uh, more like Christ because of it. Yes, yes. It's incredible, really, mm-hmm. what he can do uh, in the worst of situations. To transform us. And again, sometimes, I think Psalm 22 would say, we won't see that good until the next life. Mm-hmm. 
There are some things so puzzling in this life, so inexplicable, that we just stand back aghast. Yes, yes. And those are some of the things that uh, I think we'll see in the next life. Absolutely. Well, you made reference earlier to uh, the fact that this passage is for those who love God. And, and you know, you, I think about how oftentimes people quote Romans eight twenty eight, and they stop after saying all things work together for good, uh-huh. and then off they go. Right. Uh, but the rest of that is a sort of a conditional yes, uh, situation, uh-huh. mm-hmm. not only to love God, uh, but to be called according to his, his if you're the called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. So so let's do start back for that, just that issue of love. Well, how do we know that we love God? It's easy to say, oh, well, yeah, I love ice cream. I love my husband. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, wh- what kind of love are we talking about? Well, of course, it's that wonderful agape love or agapao with the verb. And it's it's a spiritual love. It's a selfless uh, attitude that seeks the will, God's will, of the person that's being loved. So if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then he's number one in your life. Yes. Uh, and his kingdom becomes your transcendent cause for living. Because he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, that you don't have to worry about what you wear, what you eat, where you sleep, if he are seeking his kingdom first. Yes. And so I think uh, people know in their heart if that's number one for them. Yes. Do we put him first? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And and then those that are called according to his purposes help us to understand that. Well, it goes on to talk about uh, his purpose, doesn't it, in the next verse? And it's to become like Christ, mm-hmm. to be conformed to the image of his son. So that's why all these things that look negative as far as the circumstances of life can work together for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So that is the purpose. Which is a good. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Verse 29 reads, the, uh, Whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among the brethren. And I know there's some deep discussion we could get into regarding predestined, etc. But it seems to me that, like you said, there's a logical meaning of this passage, which really has to do with the state of our character. Absolutely. Yeah. And so so understanding that purpose, that it is about becoming like Christ. Yeah, the Greek word here is symorphous, morph, morphe, form, morphology, or anthropomorphism, or okay. metamorphosis. Yes. It's dealing with the form, and first three letters say that you have the same form as Jesus. Hmm. Conformed. Yes. To Jesus. To conform to the... And they use the word icon here. Uh, we think of icons as images, and it's the image of his son. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And so that, of course, too, we, we know this passage is for believers uh, who love him and who are the called according to that purpose to be conformed to his image. And that is his purpose for all believers, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. We weren't created to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh we were created to find our purpose and meaning in life, which lines up with seeking his kingdom first. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing that, he makes us more like his son. That's his purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could just think how things would be so different in not only our own lives, but just the lives around us. Mm-hmm. If all believers truly grasped that, 
that that is our purpose, to become like him, to reflect him so that the world can see him in us. Uh, well, that's why the book's called Portraits of Righteousness, because yeah. each one of us is one of God's paintings mm. to reflect his son. But we got sidetracked by Augustine, who imported Platonism into Christianity. And Plato, I may be repeating from last week, I can't remember. But Plato wanted to, he saw the body as evil, and he wanted the soul to get out of its prison of the body and go to heaven. That became the goal of life. Well, uh, Augustine married that with Christianity. And so his emphasis and the emphasis of Christianity ever since has been, who gets to go to heaven? And uh, he said, what's the elect? And he says, you won't know if you're elect. Augustine said this. You won't know if you're elect until you die. And so everything you do in your life is with the end goal of becoming elect and going to heaven. Working, working, working. Well, the scripture doesn't say that. No, it doesn't. I, I, I often give my students Matthew, Mark, and Luke and say, get me to heaven. Very hard to do because it's not about going to heaven. Right. It's about discipleship road. Mm-hmm. So it's as though I went to Beijing to watch Hussein Bolt run the hundred meters, and the gun went off, and uh, he stayed in the in the blocks. You know, <laughs> you say, wait a minute, we're supposed to be running a race here. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we all have to remind ourselves that right. daily. Right. I'm in a race. I'm in a race. But the goal of that race is not the, the gates of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. That's what he tells us in Philippians three, which is also about a race. Mm. The goal, the prize of high calling in Christ Jesus. I love that analogy, too. It's it's beautiful. We talked last time we were together about the glory of God. Uh, and once again, we're reminded that a, a believer who endures suffering by walking with God and leaning on his spirit through their suffering brings more glory to God than someone who tries to endure suffering apart from him. Uh, so though it might appear for a moment that God's hand is heavy upon us uh, and, and that he has created really a barrier to our happiness. That's that's our fleshly response. Right. Uh, how can we how can we be reminded to turn our hearts and our mind, our focus to his perspective? Yeah. For me, I think and I, I, you know, you hesitate to project your own walk or experience on others. But I think there's enough in the scripture to validate that. It's through the scriptures themselves, through the word of God, mm. that you get a, a hint and a picture of that next world. Yeah. And and I think it takes regular exposure. Mm. And I did think last time I talked about the three stages of life. Yes. The, the physical senses in the first stage in the womb, but the spiritual senses where people are born again, preparing them for the next stage. But... The Bible is the only place it talks about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and we're so tied to our physical senses as we walk through this world, I can't keep from, unless I were blind, I can't keep from seeing the world, feeling the world, etc. Yes. So our default is is a focus on this world. So I think you have to purpose to shift your eyes elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to do that, I think, is through uh, reading the scriptures, especially mm-hmm. passages that, that talk about that. Yes. Oh, so thankful for his word because, you know, on our, our, and we're so blessed to have the word. I know there's so many in so many countries that don't have the word. And yet we have many that often left on, are left unread. I know in this country. Uh, but I'm so thankful for it because it's, it's, you know, we know God is with us. He's always with us. He never abandons us. But to me, one indication of that is he's given us his word. And, and that is just such a beautiful thing for me. Uh, 
to be able to go to the Word and and really experience His presence. Mm. Uh, it's a it's just a beautiful beautiful experience with the Lord. Well, no doubt God is good all the time, uh, but we can also get hung up in our thinking regarding the greatness of God. Uh, again, we've talked about, you know, just look at what's going on around us, the headlines, uh, look what's happened in our own lives. And it's easy for us in our flesh to believe the enemy that God is not able to do anything about it, that he's not powerful enough to handle not my problems and not the world's problems either. But you reassure us in talking uh, of three areas of God's greatness uh, his provision, his presence, and his power. If you could talk about each one of those, we'll start with God's presence, because I think that idea of getting our focus right is critical. And so the question might be, well, then what do we focus on? And those are three things that we can certainly start with. Well, this is the passage where he quotes Psalm 44. Uh, For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. He hasn't quoted the Old Testament for three chapters. Hmm. It's no, ah, stupid to say, but it's no accident that he picked this time to do it. Because Psalm 44 is a description of the Jewish people being slaughtered. Hmm. But it says in there, we've done no wrong. We haven't forsaken you. So how is it you're letting this happen? But in the midst of all that uh, stress and turmoil, The psalmist sits down and writes the most symmetrical, well-organized piece of scripture we have. It's in the form of a ziggurat, which uh, was the kind of tower of battle, where they would uh, uh, worship Semiramis at the top, the sun goddess, burn incense to Semiramis. But it would go up symmetrically. You've seen pictures of me with the Incas, I think, Uh, and go up to the top. But in that particular psalm, uh, he starts out with... uh, uh, 16 lines of poetry divided between 8 and 8 and then uh, 10, 5 and 5 and then 8, 4 and 4 and then uh, 4, 2 and 2 as he's going up the ziggurat. And so he's letting people know just from that and that alone, regardless of the content, that in the midst of a uh, most emotional time of our history, uh, with the right focus, I can still be rational. Mm. Well, what is that focus? He goes through four things about God in that particular psalm. He talks about God's power. He goes back, reviews the Red Sea, Mm -hmm. all the things that God has done. He talks about God's sovereignty because in the second section of the complaint, he says, you, 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 you. Then he goes to God's knowledge. He says, you know what's going on. Mm. But you can still have a capricious God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, and is sovereign. Uh, he could be a divine sadist. Mm. But at the end of the psalm, he says, it's all because of your chesed, your loyal love. And that word came from the stork. A mother stork would fight to the death for her offspring. Mm. So he's using that of God and his loyalty to his covenants, mm. his loyalty to his chosen people. And they draw comfort from that. Mm. Well, he's doing that here in uh, this particular passage. In the midst of it all, he won't forsake you. He won't leave you. He's there. He's present. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Of course, then he goes into tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's uh, that's very powerful. Mm, it is. I uh, 
just knowing he's with us, uh, knowing he can do something about our situation, it gives us hope for tomorrow. We may not know what today's going to end up like, but but it gives us hope that tomorrow is going to be a better day uh, because he is in control and and he he is working all things together for good. When I was hospitalized with uh, cancer, I really learned the importance of focus being in, in the hospital. Uh, your book, Portraits of Righteousness, excuse me, uh, directed me to the areas of focus that were really life changing for me. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and it is that, that God's power, that sovereignty, his knowledge, his love. Uh, I, I would read actually that section and then go to the scriptures, uh, just to confirm mm-hmm. everything. Uh, and, and it was extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, Dr. Anderson, that when you are uh, in a situation that seems hopeless, uh, we're, we're all grasping for something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as believers who who love the Lord, uh, uh, I think perhaps, you know, my our first reaction is to to go to the Lord. Uh, but. My heart breaks for those that first that don't know him or those who know him, but don't grasp his power. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would you say to someone who might be be listening that is kind of in that depths of despair? Uh, what what direction would you give them to to sort of get their mind refocused, if you will? Well, obviously, these passages that we're going yeah. over. Yeah. And, I, uh, you know, he skipped over the first one, uh, God's provisions. I think yes. he, argue, he argues there from the greater to the lesser. Mm. And he's, he's saying, look, uh, if I provided my son and let him mm. die for you, mm-hmm. that's the big thing. And don't you think I'll do the little things? Mm. You know? Yes, yes. If I created the whole universe, if I have that much power, you know, can do that, uh, don't you think I'll provide for your situation, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Yes. I forget who did it, but someone wrote a book called How Great Is Your God? Mm. And uh, often our responses in this life depend on how great our God is. And, uh, some people have a greater God than others. Now, obviously, <laughs> it's the same God. It's our view of him mm-hmm. and how great he is and how how much he does love us and care for us individually. Yes. So he's so great, he's transcendent above us. But he's also imminent. He lives in us. Mm-hmm. He's right here. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's very powerful, that combination. And then, of course, his presence that we just talked about. Yes. But, but then back to his uh, power. Yeah. You have one of the great, great promises of the whole New Testament right in this passage. Because he says that uh, neither going through the various things that cannot separate you from the love of mm. God. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, the interesting thing in that list is things to come. Hmm. Because uh, in the early church, they thought your salvation wasn't determined until you died. And they'd go back and look over your life. You had to persevere faithful to the end. Mm. And the reason for that is they had no way to deal with future sins. Mm. Their view of justification was 
that God gives you an infusion of Christ's life the moment you are water baptized. Oh, okay. They water baptized infants. Mm-hmm. Then as you grow up uh, and you believe and you get more of the righteousness of Christ. As you do good works throughout your life, you get more of the righteousness of Christ. When you die, if you have enough of the righteousness of Christ, uh, then you go to heaven. If you don't, but you're still a believer with no unconfessed mortal sins, you go to purgatory. And there they keep working the sinfulness out of you until you're like Christ, then you get to go to heaven. Now, the point is, because they had no way of dealing with future sins, in this life you could not have eternal security. Mm. You have no assurance of your salvation. Yes. But this verse gives that to you. It does. Because it says things to come. Things. Well, I, 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 not to get too personal here, but do you think you will commit any sins between today and, and the time you leave this earth? No doubt. Probably will. Yes. So uh, the reformers came along, Melanchthon and spe- specifically, and taught that justification is not a change in your character. Mm-hmm. It's a change in your standing before God. Mm. His gavel comes down in the courtroom of heaven and declares you righteous, meaning all your sins are taken away past, present, and future. And future. Mm-hmm. That then is the provision mm-hmm. for eternal security. Mm. Without that, you have none. Yeah. Well, this passage gives it to you because it says things to come. Mm-hmm. Would that include your sins? It would. it would. Things to come cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Mm. That's it. You got it right there. That's it. Very comforting. And that's why chapter 9 kicks in here because his imaginary objector who's following him around throughout this book says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. King's X, we know the Jews sinned and God rejected them. So he spends the next three chapters defending the last verse of chapter 8. Mm. He said, no, God hasn't given up on the Jews. That's right. And that's what those three chapters are about. Some people say they're about sovereignty. Well, he certainly gets into the sovereignty of God. That's not it. It's about security. Mm-hmm. It's our security in Christ. It winds up in chapter 11 saying, uh, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable. Yeah. However you want to pronounce it. Thank, thank goodness <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, we talked about uh, God's God's power, uh, His presence, His love, His provision. Uh, so even as we uh, consider the undeserved surf- suffering that many of us may be in today, uh, we do have some consoling truths uh, through that through the glory of God, through the, the um, uh, goodness of God, and the greatness of God, the groaning of God. That we can turn to just that importance of that of that scripture. Uh, thank you, thank you mm-hmm. for bringing this hope to to me and to our listeners. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll be truly preparing for suffering that's sure to come, mm-hmm. uh, as as we've been encouraged today. So, and thank you for writing Portraits of Righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, what an excellent book uh, provides such wonderful insight that that helps anyone who who is suffering. I thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Glad. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Dave Anderson, and if you've been encouraged in your own trials today, know that we have much more to offer here at Grace to help you through times of suffering. Be sure to download the Grace app to give you complete access to Saving Grace podcasts, Grace Cafe, the event calendar, Bible study guides, and much, much more. You can get that link and also learn more about Grace School of Theology and Grace Center for Spiritual Development at gsot.edu. 
That's G-S-O-T dot E-D-U. We're so glad you joined us today. Remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost.